Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 102 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Betsy Stotler and Kelly Hayes about their innovative distributed business model for their law firm, Virgin Legal. Today's podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks, which is ridiculously easy to use and packed with powerful features. Try it now at freshbooks.com slash lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section. Today's podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists and its smart, charming receptionists who are perfect for small firms. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. And today's podcast is also sponsored by Spotlight Branding. Learn how they use the internet to make all of your law firm marketing and business development more profitable by visiting spotlightbranding.com slash lawyerist. So, Aaron, one thing you'll hear today from Betsy and Kelly is how they've dealt with the challenge of managing a remote team. And we've been remote for years now, and we've run up against some of the same issues. And I thought maybe it'd be interesting to talk about how we've dealt with trying to get about two dozen people kind of on the same page, moving in the same direction, and then our smaller sort of team that actually does the lawyerist background stuff. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to this interview because my sense is that they've probably figured out a better solution than we have. Though we've tried any number of models for engaging dozens of writers over the years, um, always over the internet since people are all over the world using tools. We started with Google Groups and instant messages, and now we're using Slack a lot. We've used different project management software to do it, email, and even not just our writers, but our actual staff team. We have an office, but many of them work from home or work remotely at least part of the time by choice. And it's something we allow and encourage, but it isn't always the perfect solution for making sure that teams of people are on the same page and coordinated. And that's, of course, completely setting aside the fact that there are plenty of business owners who care about FaceTime and making sure people are working hard. And we've actually, we trust the people we work with. So, that's not even on our radar, though it definitely is on, would be on some small law firms radars as an additional struggle with remote workers. Yeah. And I think you know, increasingly law firms are doing this, whether you're outsourcing a receptionist or you're just working with people in different places, you've decided to work at home. Like, it's a pretty normal thing. I mean, our stack, our technology stack right now is basically meetings, uh, whether it's in person or over video through Slack or Skype or something like that, but but usually in person uh, or over the phone. So, we have the phone and and that's how we do our meeting, a lot of our meetings. We do Slack for day-to-day communication about things that need to get done. We use Trello to keep everybody on the same page for what needs to get done to manage our workflows. Um, And we have email, but we don't really use it internally very much. No, that's definitely one of the advantages of of project management software and tools like Slack is we very rarely send emails to each other within the organization. Mm -hmm. I certainly worked at places where 90% (laughs) of an inbox was internal stuff. And I, I love that my email is mostly exclusively external communication so yeah. that it has a very clear function in my day. Have you, over the last seven or eight years that Lawyerist has been doing this, are there any of the models we used for managing 
remote team members that you thought were an utter failure? Um, <laughs> that's a really good question because most of that time it would have been my failure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the hardest part about it is to make everybody feel like they're on the same team rowing in the same direction when you're when you're not seeing each other day to day and working together. And so my sort of laissez-faire attitude of checking in only when you have something to check in about was a terrible idea. Um, and I think the way we're moving now, which is where we actually have regular check-ins, even and we try to keep them really short because we don't want to waste a ton of time in meetings, um, but, but that you've pretty much implemented is much more effective. Having that weekly check-in is really working much better, I think. And it's it's starting to feel like we're we're shedding that laissez-faire attitude and starting to have a little bit more of an attitude of, yeah, yeah, we're doing this together and it's working. Yeah, I think on the flip side for us is when we implemented Slack a year and a half ago or so, it definitely had the advantage of making sure people were part of the group and able to be in touch more rather than just occasional check-ins when there was something due from them. But there were times when it had the opposite effect of way too much noise where people mm -hmm. were just chatting all day long and the chatting was really fun and so you didn't want to miss <laughs> it. So then everyone is just, like you're doing just glued to their computer chatting with each other rather yeah. than doing work. Um, and I think we've struck a better balance after that initial introductory period. But I think there are also risks there where if you're fully remote and therefore the only way to interact with colleagues is through some sort of chat portal, it can get too fun to just chat with people rather than using it to communicate about work and sometimes personal check-in stuff to see how your team is doing because you care about them because you work with them, but to focus it on getting work done um, rather than just being fun and silly. You know, if I... Stepping back from just the remote teams thing, there's an additional element here that doesn't just have to do with being remote that I also think is really important. And I, I usually say that I'm a terrible representative of lawyers in general. Um, but in this respect, I think I'm really typical, which is that I, it took me a really long time to realize that I was a manager. Like when I when I started hiring people to work with for my firm, and then later when I started you know managing people at Lawyerist, I, it took me a really long time to catch on. And my attitude was basically like, "I've told you what I want done. Read my mind for the details, and come back to me with the finished product. And if I don't get the finished product that I'm happy with, I'm going to be annoyed." And that is how a lot of lawyers seem to manage their people. And it's really ineffective, doesn't motivate people, and doesn't really help anything. Um, and I think once I started realizing, oh, management is an actual skill and discipline that I need to get serious about learning, I got better at it. And it, it, made, it made the whole business run more smoothly. And I think we are finally getting better at it. And when you look at your own firm, I think a lot of lawyers... Um, aren't doing management and aren't taking it seriously. And maybe for 2017, now that we're a couple weeks in, that's a good thing to do is pick up a book about managing people and just try and learn that craft and get better at it. Well, and my sense is that in a few minutes, we'll hear a number of good tips from Betsy and Kelly on exactly how to be a good manager of lawyers and law firm staff. Yeah, I'm really impressed. And I think you're going to learn a lot from this conversation. So here it is. Here are Betsy and Kelly. Hi, I'm Betsy Stotler, co-owner and attorney for Burgeon Legal Group. Hi, I'm Kelly Hayes, 
co-owner and attorney with Virgin Legal Group as well. Thanks so much for being with us today. So, I... Well, there's a little bit of background to this podcast. One is that Betsy and I actually went to law school together and I totally lost track of her and then met her again at the Clio Cloud Conference where Virgin Legal was blasted up onto the big screen. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. But I'm also interested in kind of the backstory to the firm. So, tell me what Virgin Legal does and what makes it unique because it is pretty unique. Okay. Well, we are a boutique firm and we specialize in complex collections for healthcare facilities, so long-term care, assisted living, um, anything related to that. And complex just means more than just go get a judgment and have 10 judgments in the basement of a courthouse. It's um, kind of like think tank brainstorming about ways to get nursing homes paid when it's um, there are Medicaid issues and um, residents with dementia who don't know much about their finances or can't communicate. And it's another way I describe it is it's, it's when a state planning has gone wrong or didn't exist and we need to fix it retroactively to make sure it doesn't ruin the nursing home's chances of ever getting paid for a resident. And then it also usually helps the resident in the process. So you're not diving into bank accounts and wages. You're actually trying to figure out how to make insurance and estate planning and all that kind of stuff work so that somebody can get the care they need. Basically, it's usually too late for estate planning because they're already in the facility and they usually have a bill by the time we get the case, sometimes mm-hmm. a pretty big one. Um, and so when we're looking at bank statements, we're it's kind of like, a well, if anyone's ever seen a Medicaid application, it's a really, really intense times 10 mortgage application process, like every bank account for the past five years, no stone unturned, any expenditure over $100 has to be um, verified. So it's just, it's because we're usually dealing with an elderly disabled population for them to obtain that stuff. And even for agents to obtain it is really onerous. And so we usually are stepping in and doing that when it hasn't happened. Gotcha. So that's what you do. Tell me about how the firm is constructed because that's really where the uh, the difference is. And and maybe before you even get there, why Burgeon Legal? I think I would say first, our beginnings were we joked that we were two girls in a couch and we were just doing this kind of on the side freelance thing from our homes because we each had babies and we were finding it very difficult to work in a typical law firm environment. Um, For me, the commute was just a killer. It was sometimes two hours a day, two hours each way in D.C. Um, So we were kind of like, how about we just do this? We love this area of law. And then it just grew and very fast. And um, we got a brick-and-mortar office for support staff in South Carolina. That's where Kelly lives. And... um, burgeoning kind of was our the word in our head and that that's why we um came up with that and we also didn't just want to have our last names because we wanted it to show our thought process on being creative and fresh and um not crusty and to show what we stood for which was to not just do things the way they've always been done maybe we'll get there anyway but we wanted to make decisions and make rules because we decided after a thought process that they had to be that way instead of because everybody does them that way. 
Love that. So, so where, so where is everybody now? You've got a, you've got Kelly in Kelly. You're in South Carolina, and and you've got support staff there, right? Correct. We have. I work at our South Carolina office, and then all of our admin operations, paralegals, tech people, finance people, um, all of the sort of quote unquote departments that a traditional firm would have are housed in the South Carolina office. And how many people is that? We've got, I want to say, 15 or so people down here. Cool. And then the attorneys, um, we've got 25 or so attorneys, and they all work either from home offices or rented office space, Mm -hmm. and they're located across the country in California, Texas, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, New Jersey. Um, Betsy, you started out in D.C. Where are you now? Peoria, Illinois. Gotcha. So you, this is a truly, um, it's a distributed firm, at least, if not a virtual firm. Yes, we um, we reached the West Coast maybe a year or two ago. Um, so yeah, it's, it covers the whole United States. It doesn't we don't have somebody in every single state physically um, or barred qu- quite in every state, but we do cover the whole United States basically. Well, from if you every region. And and where are your clients from? They are corporate clients um, who, I mean, we have some small regional local clients, um, so someone who might own a couple facilities in Maryland or South Carolina, and then we also have big corporate clients who have um, facilities all over the United States, so we kind of, it's, it's a variety and they um so some of those corporations it just depends where their corporate office is um so some of them are in Kentucky some Maryland um Texas it just kind of varies so tell me like as you're setting this up is does the distributed nature of the firm come first is that how you intended to set it up or did you end up landing like a a big client that wanted you to be able to handle stuff in in other states it was it was definitely the latter. We had when we opened our doors back in 2012. It was just Betsy and I, and it was distributed in the sense that she was in D.C. at the time and I was in South Carolina. And so the decisions that we were making in terms of the back office needs of the firm, um, timekeeping, and and file management, and even faxing and um, telephones all had to to be through systems that would work with having two people in two physically different locations. Mm-hmm. And um, it was sort of a, a very much um, when people found out that we had opened our doors, it just kind of exploded and existing clients grew and started referring in areas that we didn't previously have clients or, or cases in. And we would have to hire more people to staff those cases. And the more people came with additional bars, and then clients would find out about those bars, and then they found gave us cases in those states. And so it's sort of has just grown. You know, there's been a, a, a continued and still continuing demand that we've tried to keep up with on the back end and fill with staff. So how does a, a two-person law firm land a client of that, you know, uh, start landing clients of that size that drive that kind of growth? Because I'm sure lots of people would like to know the secret to that. (laughs) I, I, unfortunately, I don't think there is a secret. Um, Betsy may, may have a different opinion. We, you know, most of our clients, all of our clients right now 
are long-term care providers, and um, that community is a very small community, and, and there's turnover among and within different facilities and, and corporate offices. And so, you know, uh, we have, and and that industry has a lot of um, buying and selling constantly, where one building is bought by a different client, is bought by a different I mean, we have one building that we've had cases in that I think has been through three clients in the four years that we've represented the building. So, um, you know, with each with each one of those transitions comes the opportunity for additional networking and and introduction to clients that we didn't that we didn't meet until very recently. All of our clients came to us through word of mouth. Okay, so and did that start before you started the firm? Was was one or both of you involved in this world a little bit or or in depth, I don't know. I did want to add. I I think how we have grown or attracted the clients is just by in a in a the most crazy passionate way. Throw everything we have into our cases and um, the work we do. Um, so I mean, I know that sounds kind of <laughs> corny, but I think it was just like someone described me to myself one time as a like they didn't expect to see such a scrappy junkyard dog in court <laughs> and um I feel like it, it's like they knew that we would do we would be creative and we wouldn't just be like all right here's my file throw it to the side pick it up in a week do what I do on every case I get that we would really take put our heart in it and look at it and be like what can I do what can I do differently what should I have not done last time what can I do today and be really aggressive and thinking all the time and we try to instill that in everybody who comes here and and not everybody thinks that way and they so we it's kind of like we've tried to be really careful about who we hire because of that um so I just wanted to add that part but we were we were practicing in this area before this firm um and it just we we did really like the practice area and got to know people in the industry. It's kind of a tight-knit industry. We often see faces that we've seen in the past um, show up at new facilities. So it's really just, it's it's kind of a small niche industry. And I guess like when because we liked it and we were real people and we are talking to people who um, eventually became clients, we would be talking to them about our kids or, I mean, not always about that, but <laughs> things person human things and um and then it and just kind of develops relationships with them so we need to take two minutes from our sponsors and when we come back i want to talk about a theme that i keep hearing sort of running through it which is that you really are developing uh the practice and the firm uh and betsy you described it to me as thinking of your firm as a living breathing organism which it really isn't how many people would describe a law firm so when we come back i want to talk about that So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three client projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to modern life as a small firm lawyer. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. To meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. 
The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. Create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, set up online payments with just a couple of clicks, and get paid up to four days faster. See when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to the guessing games. FreshBook is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone, which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. You're investing time and money to grow your law firm, but what if you could make all of your marketing and business development work better? Spotlight Branding works exclusively with solo and small law firms. They create the internet foundation for their clients, which increases the return on their marketing investment by 2x, 5x, or more. Whether you develop business primarily through networking and referrals, by running ads on the radio or on the internet, or whatever the case may be, Spotlight Branding can create an internet presence for your law firm, which will make all of your marketing work better. Spotlight Branding services include law firm website design, email newsletter management, social media marketing, and more, all designed to help your law practice generate a higher return on the time and the money that you're investing into your marketing. Visit spotlightbranding.com lawyerist to see how they can help your firm stand out from the crowd and make 2017 your most profitable year ever. Okay, and we're back. And so... I keep hearing uh, you sort of talk about how things have developed and you talk about strategy and or, or like that um, that you've been trying to design things in a certain way. So, it, it sounds like you at some point, um, even if it didn't start out this way, but it sounds like it may have, you really think about this as a business that you are trying to develop in a particular way and, and maybe even it, it goes back to um, the fact that it sounds like you were both started out as moms who wanted to figure out a way to practice law that didn't entirely um, eat up your family time. Does that sound about right? Yeah. And and it's, we didn't have, I've seen other people start companies over the years and they have the, I guess the benefit in some ways maybe could hinder creativity, but just uh, to plan it all out, to have a business plan stapled together, follow it, um, to set up the staff and get the building and have it all ready to go and then open your doors. And instead we were just, uh, the phrase drinking out of the fire hose is so overused, but that is what it felt like for a long time. So, um, we, I mean, because we weren't experts at running a business, we try to just be really open-minded and, um, and in some ways have trial and error. If something doesn't work, we try to fix it. But then we also try to not constantly be changing and do try to, I guess, stay firm on some areas where we really feel like 
that's the way it should be. But drinking from the fire hose is something that like lots of lawyers do or, or you know, constantly running around like your hair's on fire, um, putting out fires and, and they never stop to think, okay, how can I improve this? How can I make this better? And your firm is very much not a lifestyle business, which is what some stay-at-home parents um, do. It sound, it's, a, it's a real honest business that, that is, uh, uh, sounds very successful. And so, like, how, how do you work that business development in? Do you, do you have regular meetings about uh, where you evaluate the systems and processes and strategies and, and procedures? Or do you, um, do you just wait until something feels like it's not working and then try to come up with ways to fix it? Or like, how, how does that, when, when you're working on the business aspect of the firm, how does that look? I mean, when I called it a living, breathing organism, I was kind of referring to that. We're always thinking about things like that and always asking for feedback and looking at everything and examining if it's working right. And it's a little bit because it has grown so much, it's it's not the same within, I mean, year to year or even more often. Um, so our meetings have often been the two of us and we're working on having it a little bit more formal so it's not just us going back and forth. Um, I mean, it is a little bit more formal than that at this point. There are other people who help us with the management, but we're working on having more formal meetings so we're not just always calling each other and being like, what should we do about this giant problem? And I, I used to joke that I... um at first, I would just say I want to hide under my bed about problems, and then I was like, no, I'm going to dig a bunker under my bed and hide in that, and then I was going to bring some whiskey in the bunker, and um, <laughs> because some problems just seem like it's just we just keep working and working, but it is really refreshing. Sometimes it finally, we've resolved a problem, and, and it just took a lot of time and diligence and perseverance and patience. And sometimes that's really hard when you want your problems to be solved tomorrow because running a firm is really, really challenging and the employment aspects are more challenging than we realized. Um, and, and it's no different from anywhere else except the virtual nature does. We don't have a model to just copy the way maybe a all brick and mortar place might. Yeah. yeah, I think what Betsy said is, you know, just to sort of, add to that, you know, we, it, it is a living, growing organism. And what, what worked for us when we had two people, some of, some of those systems and policies and procedures work with 50 and some stopped working at 10. <laughs> and so every day, you know, different, different states have different requirements, different clients have different requirements, different employees bring different um, I don't want to say problems to the table, but, you know, different employees located in different states may open a, op, you know, expose us to something that we hadn't thought of before. And so I hate to say that it's reactive, but it is every day because we are continually growing every day is, you know, bring something that we hadn't previous thought, previously thought of and, and, you know, something, something different to tackle. How much time do you, each of you spend uh, managing the business and, and running the business versus lawyering these days? Pretty much. I mean, I guess it depends what lawyering is, but pretty much all the time managing, but we do, we still are involved in cases and case strategizing. We just, we're not the ones in court or drafting the letters, but we're still, um, I mean, I think I can't help myself when I see 
um, people posing questions or um, like we're each involved in everybody's case. Uh, we split in half um, for the most part. Some people, some cases we're not if someone's been here for a really long time. But um, so we're still we're still involved in. I, I don't know if it'd be exactly supervising, but um, just chiming in with our thoughts and sometimes diatribes of oh no no you got to do this 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 worked once or just stuff like that like more insight and mm-hmm. entering at this point yeah i mean i think we try to keep a pulse on the majority of the cases but we're not involved in the day to day unless the day to day brings some sort of you know major strategy question or um really outside the norm need for for our involvement but the majority i mean i would say the overwhelming majority is management but you know we are still sort of aware and and at a higher level involved in in the cases. I, I'm struck in in listening to you talk about working on cases and working together as a firm and all that kind of stuff. How normal it all sounds, and then I reflect that you've got people scattered all over the country. So what what tools or procedures or thing? What how do you how do you maintain that sense of working together? Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's definitely a challenge. Um, and having, you know, having different people, 20 different attorneys in 20 different locations around the country, and then adding that each of those people are um, supervised by somebody who's also somewhere else and then supported by somebody who's in South Carolina does make it, um, it, it adds some complexity. Um, and I and I think we, you know, we are continuing to learn as we grow and, and explore new options in terms of keeping people connected and feeling like they're they are part of a larger the the bigger team. Um, we have weekly calls with the with all of the attorneys in the firm, um, and we have a number of like group distro e- email distro lists for attorneys and paralegals and the South Carolina office versus the entire firm. And I think people generally do do feel very supported and as part of the bigger whole when they're when they're you know can rely on their colleagues and call and say does somebody have a template for this or has anybody ever come across this problem and on our weekly call we we rotate and each of the attorneys takes turns presenting either a, a big win a great tip a strategy um a question and we also during that weekly call have somebody present or um i mean present but may include a question with respect to sort of the back office stuff and and, and if they have a billing tip or a you know a work from home difficulty or something so that we're we're on a weekly basis touching base the attorneys and having them share with each other we let them sort of lead it and let them um share with each other you know their experiences and then we also utilize obviously technology and we use link just for chatting between and among the different people in different locations. And it's called Link? It's called Link. It's the um it's Microsoft's like chat oh, sure. feature yep. for out for Outlook. Yeah. That so how long does that weekly call go on? Is that a, is it like a, an hour or a couple of hours or is it 10 minutes? I mean it's normally under half an hour. We have two 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 presenters on substance and one presenter on um sort of administrative office stuff every week. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Some are longer, some are shorter. It really, you know, and if Betsy or I see something, you know, we'll chime in um, with, hey, we've noticed people everywhere are doing this. Can we not do that? Or can we do this differently? Or we've noticed some, we've we've gotten questions from, 
eight of the 20 of you individually. So we figured we would just share this, you know, with the larger group, you know, so we, we use it too. But like I said, I mean, email is always out there and links there. And I mean, link is kind of fun because people put different away messages or not away messages in messages about, you know, killed it with three wins this morning or, um, you know, if I hear no one more time, I'm going to explode or, you know, they sort of keep each other apprised of their status, mental, physical, whatever, through their link, their link status. And it's kind of fun, um, you know, to see that. It, it sounds like both of you have taken to management naturally or are working hard at it. Um, where did you acquire those skills? And, and I'm asking in part because like, as our company has grown, I've had to take seriously the idea that I need to learn how to manage, um, which isn't necessarily something that comes natural to me. So, I'm kind of curious as to how people have woken up to that and, and acquired those skills or learned how to exercise them. I mean, somebody once told me that one of the, one of the, the, the best manager knows that there are different ways to manage and different people need to be managed differently. And I personally try to keep that in mind and know that there's not a single, you know, while we need to have consistent policies, different people need to be, I hate to use the word handled, but different people need to be um, managed differently. And some people need a lot of praise and some people need to just be left alone. And some people need to sort of get more constructive feedback. And I think you know, it's just been by necessity and being open to, you know, we tell employees all the time, like, we haven't done this before. If you have a suggestion, come tell us how to do it differently. And and hearing from them and being able to incorporate the opinion of the whole into what we do or, you know, maybe it doesn't feel like it always or seem like it always, but we are taking into account the opinions and, and feedback that we've gotten from 20 or 30 or 50 people sometimes. And I'm sure I'm sure nobody would think we are perfect at it, or some of our staff would probably say we aren't perfect, <laughs> but I think most of them would say we try really hard and, and are working at it and trying to do our best at that in the way we would a case. So it sounds like you guys are pretty embedded in Microsoft Office, and you know we love tech tools here. What are some of the other technology that, tools that you guys use to... Um, to keep things going and to keep track of everything and whether it's communication or keeping track of cases or whatever? Yeah, well, from um, running into Betsy at the Clio conference, we use Clio. Yep. Um, that's one of our, our you know big tools and time savers and, and lifesavers. Um, we use Microsoft Office 365, and that comes with, uh, you know, brings with it Link, um, Dropbox, and then... Acrobat, you know, being able to use editable Acrobat. Um, our our faxes come in and are sent via email. So we're completely, with the exception of the South Carolina office and the support, support and administrative staff, we're virtual and even the South Carolina office is actually paperless. Everybody has a scan snap on their desk and we use Apple products for computers, which I think are pretty awesome, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, I mean, really tech-friendly. I can't imagine not using Apple for things. I imagine that lets you ha not have, like, a big IT support department or anything. Correct. Our, our IT support department is a one-person department. <laughs> I, I, you have a scan snap on every desk, so everybody's responsible for getting their own stuff into their into the filing system. No, our mail is centralized. All of the, all of the attorney's mail 
from outside of the South Carolina office comes to the South Carolina office, and we do have a mail person who scans it and sends it by email to the the attorney and the paralegal who's working on the case. But um, all of the paralegals have scan snaps on their desk. You know, if if something, it it's just I don't. I don't know. I don't know how you can be paperless and not have a ScanSnap. That's probably a huge, big advertisement <laughs> for ScanSnap, and they don't pay it. That's what I tell everybody, too. And I, we and pay them tons and tons of money <laughs> because of the amount of ScanSnaps we have. But, like, I just, I don't, I, I when I travel, I actually bring mine with me, like, two hotels and, and things. And my husband looks at me, like, what are you doing? What Like, what? And I'm like, if I have my ScanSnap on my 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 Apple laptop, I can do anything anywhere. And I don't know. I don't know how how else to say it. <laughs> so if, if I, if you had to take a look at your firm as a whole, and, and I realize that it's a living, breathing, changing thing, and, it, and your answer in six months may be different from your answer now. But if you had to look at the firm as a whole, like for each of you, what's your favorite part of it? Mine is, is, I mean, I love working from home. Some people don't. So I like that they have the option of not if they don't want to. But in general, we, um, most people, I think, like that aspect of it. Um, but, I mean, that's not to say, I mean, you hit it on the head. It's not just, it's not a lifestyle firm in that it's a place where you can come and not really work. Like, we um, we like the work we do, and that's that's a really big thing. Like, if I was every day clocking in and sitting at a desk drafting extensive litigation pleadings about, damage to property or something something like that, I would probably be a lot less satisfied with my life. So I like that I really like the practice area. I like the management part of it. I guess that I, I like people for the most part. Um, and it was, it was, it has been kind of, aside from the hiding under your bed days, fun to <laughs> tackle this. Well, and you, you have a, you have a pretty new baby at home right now too. So are you are you effectively on maternity leave and you're just checking in periodically or are you able to be productive and get stuff done in between baby stuff? Um, yeah, I, I, I took with, I mean, we've kind of, not that I'm a proponent of this, I think maternity leaves are good, but we've kind of had some varied maternity experiences. So the, like with this firm, like with my second baby, I didn't really do it at all. Like I remember having a hearing like a day later, um, <laughs> this time around, I was like hell bent on taking some time for mental health purposes. Um, and so it was a uh, three weeks, um, that was great. And now I just try to just be mindful of it. So I'm not, I'm definitely not on a leave and I'm full time working, but I, hope it's not vulgar, but feed her when she needs to eat and, um, like go out and smell her here and there. And yeah. I mean, it's, I, I feel like it's kind of a give and take, like it's the, I would much rather this and have her here so I can see her when I can. And, um, and it's kind of, it's a trade off. So I get to work from home and have this job. And so I don't get three months of staring at my baby, which I don't know if I <laughs> could really do anyway. So, <laughs> so how do actually, speaking of everybody working at home, how do you make sure that everybody's being productive? Do you have like a gauge or requirements? Because I imagine you're not asking people to clock in and out. Um, how do you, how do you ensure that everybody's doing what they're, they're supposed to be doing? We, 
have to trust them, and we just we gauge it more by billable hour, and that's actually one of our struggles. Uh, um, we, we were u- always used to pretty high billable requirements, and um, we we first started saying it's, we're so small. Just keep in mind you should hit this much to pay for yourself, and we trust you. Well, that didn't exactly work, and so we have tried to firm up, like, you got to hit this amount, and we're still working on how to make people accountable for entering their time. I mean, sometimes it's a matter of if you don't make it firm, people just won't enter their time, so we've, um, we're actually really working on that right now um, because our best way, I mean, we kind of tell people if you get your work done and you get your hours in, and you're responding to things, I mean, you're a professional, you should be able to do that. We don't care if you leave for your kid's soccer game or to go run to the mall over your whatever couple hours in the day, just get your work done and bust out an hour at night. Like, we're not trying to parole people in that way. Um, But it does come with challenges because some people seem to need more structure, and um, we try to figure out when interviewing whether that person needs that because this might not be the place for them, and some people don't know that about themselves. Um, so, I mean, it's it's actually a real challenge that we face and something we're working on how to, how to not feel like we're Big Brother just breathing down everyone's neck from afar, um, but to also make sure that they have the structure they need and that they understand that we this isn't a place where it's a lifestyle surfboard firm. Like we, it really is a real job where you have to work hard to, to do well. What's the current billable hours target? I'm embarrassed to say, because it's so low. It's like uh 1200 to 1440 a year. That's awesome. That's uh you know what, if you're going to have one, make it a, achievable at least. Right. So I like that. Kelly, what's your favorite part about the firm? Um, I'm actually the opposite of Betsy, which I think is one of the things that makes us work really well together and makes the firm work is that we balance, we really, really balance each other out. Um, I don't like working from home at all. I actually hate working from home. (laughs) Aaron Um, and I are actually the same way. Like I love working from home. He hates it. So now we're in an office. (laughs) Yeah. I, I like, I don't know. So, I mean, it's interesting because when we have employees that, you know, ha- struggle with working from home or don't like it and they come to us, you know, I I completely understand. And, and I, I don't want to say Betsy doesn't understand, but Betsy loves working from home so much. <laughs> you know, it's just that it's diff- different, different strokes for different folks. But my favorite part is just that every day is a challenge and, and it brings something new and something different and, and sort of keeps us on our, our toes. And I've never, ever been bored. And, and you know, for it, it's, it's challenging and it's hard and it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done professionally, but it's also fun. And I think what keeps it fun is the, is the people and being able to work with Betsy and being able to work with people that are generally fun and not kind of stiffy law firm, traditional types and, and having clients that we really enjoy as well. It's really fun to build something the way you think it ought to be built and then have it succeed. It's pretty gratifying, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and to both of you, I guess, um, or, or either one of you, if you had to, if you had to pick out like one thing that, and you've been doing this for, it sounds like about a little, probably a little over four years now, but if you had to point back to one thing that was like the biggest challenge you had to overcome, what was it and how did you overcome it? 
I think for me, the biggest challenge was, you know, when 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 we started, the, is is the risk was was the risk um, both at the outset when we started. You know, we didn't take out a loan. We didn't. It wasn't a if you build it, they will come type of thing. We just we had some um, prospective clients that it had had approached us and have a, had identified a need, and so we sort of went with it. Um, but as it evolved and grew, we got to the point where we really had to make a decision whether or not we were going to stay small. And, and you know, to some people, 50 is small, and, and that's fine. But for us, 50 is not small. It's it's gigantic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not what we had envisioned before we started. So I think, you know, we sort of had to make this decision whether to, to kind of Go big or or go home and and not necessarily go home, but kind of keep it you know at maybe six people um, and I think the when we looked at, at at that point, we had to sort of say, you know what are can can we retain the values and the culture and um, the things that you know the reasons we started it and and what we appreciated and still get big or get bigger um, and and the risk that was involved from that standpoint and from just a financial standpoint and and having you know to make that it, it to me pushed us out of our comfort zone and sort of took us in a direction that we weren't I don't want to say prepared for but we weren't. Um, we weren't necessarily looking for and sort of midway through the drive to have to say, Hey, there's this whole other road trip over there. You want to go on that while you're driving? <laughs> that to me was, has been the scariest, most challenging part. Choosing your direction, basically. Choosing our direction midway through yeah. the trip. Yes. At the beginning, uh, you said that the firm basically grew out of, um, I think you said two, two uh, moms on couches or something like that. How, what do you think that the women that you were then when you were just starting to think about this would think about what you've built right now? Would they be surprised or is this basically what you wanted, what you think you wanted back then? I would have, I, I would have been, that version of me would have been surprised um, because of exactly what Kelly just said, like our, our reason for Starting it was to have a very laid back lifestyle um, with just a little bit of work and um, and and then a lot of life and it it grew. I think we're fine that it grew into this because we like it so much. So it kind of blurs the line between work and hobby. Um, so I I would have been very surprised. And it reminds me of when you were asking about the management part. Something I I always still do is I always put myself back into the seat of myself at varying times in my life. Like as an attorney working for somebody, when we first started what we thought and I channel that depending on what the situation is to always try to remember like the seat we're in now versus the seat we were in last year. Like what would me then? So it's funny you said that because I think of that (laughs) a lot. Uh, I, I think this is kind of a nice place to end unless either of you has some parting thoughts. Not really, but it's been a great conversation and really appreciate having it. Thank you so much for being with us today, Betsy and Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure to catch next week's episode of the Lawyerist podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast or legaltalknetwork.com. 
You can subscribe via iTunes or anywhere podcasts are found. Both Lawyerist and the Legal Talk Network can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play or iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said during this podcast is legal advice. 